Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's fourth Friday Nature Connection show. Uh, normally, Nancy's here with me and Margot Carrera, who's a nature photographer. Uh, together, we love to talk about wildlife, conservation, the environment. And um, you can also keep up with everything we do with parks and public lands if you go to nationalparktraveling.com. But today we are going to talk about public lands, and then we're going to talk about wolves. We have Eli Frankovich joining us. He's a journalist who covers the environment and conservation and outdoor recreation out in the beautiful state of Washington for the Spokesman's Review. It is the state's second largest newspaper, but uh, not only does he do newspaper work, he wrote a book. It's called The Return of Wolves, An Iconic Predator's Struggle to Survive in the American West. It's out now through Timber West and, of course, uh, excuse me, Timber Press. You can get it anywhere you buy books. So welcome back. To, well, I was going to say welcome back, but welcome. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and especially talking to your audience and the, the folks that care. So about wolves. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a complex yeah. thing. I know before we started recording, so I was like, welcome back. Yeah. yeah. Um, started recording. I was like, this is very similar to, you know, the wild horse issue of the West and also in the East, actually, in some yeah. areas. And um everybody's got a yeah, different my, angle. Yeah. And my book is it is very, you know, it focuses quite a lot on Washington State um, mm -hmm. and, and Idaho, but it I think it's it has broader sort of um, relevance for any sort of conservation and co and question of coexistence, because that's just like us. That's just becoming increasingly pressing, right, as more people and more wild animals are trying to figure out how to live together. So, yeah, you know, I, it's kind of like, you know, these wildlife corridors that we're creating, like even over highways and things like that, like what mm -hmm. California has done. And um, it's it is coexistence. But there's fear, there's money involved, too, because of the ranching. If a wolf mm -hmm. takes out, you know, cattle, then people get a little pissy about yeah. it. Yeah, it has an impact. Yeah, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what got you started in actually going out and covering wolves as a whole? I know obviously you're covering conservation in the environment, but wolves. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll give a, just a, a little background um, on, on wolf, wolf recovery in the Western U.S. and, mm -hmm. and also my life. So I grew up in um, Idaho, uh, northern okay. Idaho, southern and also northern Idaho. Um, and, and then I've been in eastern Washington for a, a decade now. Um, and yeah, it's we, it's a beautiful place. I mean, I love the Western U.S. in, in general, particularly where I live. It's just gorgeous, uh, and a lot of relatively wild space and 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 animals. And um, one of those animals is is gray wolves, uh, of course. Now, and mm -hmm. and for those that don't know, wolves um, wolves used to be one of the most widely distributed land mammals on planet Earth. They live in this amazing array of uh, habitats. They can live in the mm -hmm. desert, and then they can also live in like negative forty degree um uh, tundra and uh, the arctic right uh so they're just incredibly versatile that way uh but starting sort of with european colonization of of the americas um there was a really concerted and focused effort to trap and kill off the wolves mm -hmm. and that was partly uh you know a financial and like life lifestyle choice right because they're of grazing uh, uh cattle and sheep and and what else um but then there's also sort of almost like a religious and and philosophical um desire to tame the wilderness and wolves uh -huh. have always sort of represented the wild um 
for, for, I think, I mean, I have a couple different ideas on that. Maybe we chat about it later, but mm -hmm. so in, in all to say that uh, by the 1920s and thirties, wolves were pretty much gone from the lower 48. There's a few pockets here and there and a few sightings here and there, but uh, mostly gone. And, and that began to change in the 1990s. And that's when the federal government reintroduced wolves to Yellowstone National Park, uh, and then also some uh, places in Idaho. And those populations um, grew, they did well, uh, and they began to expand out and spread out. And so they reached Washington State, um, which is, you know, mm -hmm. west of Yellowstone and Idaho uh, in 2008. Well, they came, there was wolves, there sightings here and there, but the first sort of reliable um, reproducing pack was in 2008. And uh, since then, the population in, in, of wolves in Washington has grown every year, um, usually like 12% or, or more even. So they're doing pretty well, but they've caused all sorts of social and uh, political and cultural division because wolves in Washington and most Western states are living obviously in rural areas. And right. so the, the people that live there, ranchers and farmers and loggers and what else, um, they are have taken on the bur like the the brunt of the coexistence work right um and the and then these are stereotypes of course but the people that often are most excited about wolves returning to a place live in cities and actually don't have any um sort of skin in the game so to speak and so that's caused i think some some tension and division um and this book is really looking at that it talks about the ecology and biology but it's it is really focused on these political and social divides that wolves um, through no fault of their own really sort of highlight. So. Yeah, and then they also have the whole um, going into like mythology and everything. It's like, oh, Little Red yeah. Riding Hood. So they oh. have this negative thing that's still kind of, it starts when you're a kid, they've been put in as the, you know, the big, bagged, ugly wolf in fairy tales yeah. and grows from there. Yet here they are this incredibly important apex species and you know, it's, um, it's a and very, it's interesting. Yeah. And conversely, I think uh, we, there's a, a lot of love and um, uh, sort of um, uh, aggrandizement of wolves, uh, almost in the opposite direction, right? Mm -hmm. of that, and, and I think that that speaks to, and I, I can only speak for myself, I guess, but I've often felt like I, I'm divorced and sort of disconnected from the natural world and something about a wolf, uh, like it, it gives you hope like oh yeah it's still it's still there and it's still accessible um so yeah i think there's there's very few people feel indifferent about wolves it's, it's very yeah. strong feelings one way or the other so i think they're beautiful <laughs> i just i mean they're, yeah. they're, they're i mean they're amazing you know it's yeah. interesting because you say yeah because even when we lived in arizona you they, we had one two little things happen with wolves but they used to be prolific out there too jaguars and ocelot and um yeah. so it's kind of like that same situation but with you i know you started covering it in the newspaper and then you're like oh i gotta go out deeper because it's just not it there's something not quite there's more and then did you ever think okay now it's going to become a book or did you when you started to go deeper think uh-oh now I've got, I've opened go. like the biggest <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how it happened basically was, um, yeah, I was covering covering it for the paper, sort of daily stories, and um, I was getting uh, sort of flack from both sides. Honestly, people mm -hmm. saying that I was hated wolves, and people saying that I was a wolf lover, and so, um, which usually means you're probably doing a pretty good job as a journalist. But mm -hmm. I, I kind of felt like I was missing something that there was some deeper story there that I wanted to get at, and so I. 
um, went out on basically a tour of wolf country with a, a rancher and a biologist and a politician. And on that tour, which was interesting, I learned a lot from all three of them. But um, on that tour, I met this guy just kind of happenstance named Daniel Curry. And he's a range rider. Um, and so what that means is he spends days and nights and early mornings um, basically trying, and he's this on public land for the most part, uh, trying to find, like, keep wolves from attacking cattle that are grazing. Um, and he's dedicated, he had dedicated, he has dedicated the majority of his life to, to this work. And he was a fascinating character for me and really opened up this story for me and, and made it really more accessible because he like he really he loves wolves he's got this deep connection um and he talks about animals in a very familial sort of like uh, almost spiritual way uh and he's uh, he's he's amazing with animals like his, the way he works with them is just incredible I, i've never seen anything like that but he also has sort of done the work um in many cases to to show ranchers that he also cares about them and and their cattle and and their their uh perspective and so he um, he's kind of trying to he's struck this balance. He's trying to strike this balance and and show a way for for coexistence to work. And um, just his own personal story, which is in the book, and kind of that's the narrative thread that holds it all together. Is I just found really compelling. But more to the point, he was like a case study in like making coexistence work and not just um, not just ignoring one or the other side <laughs> and trying to yeah. trying to find a balance. Yeah, that's what I got like from everything is it's balance. And that's something we as society have to get, you know, um, it's like after COVID, everybody just went crazy in our public lands. And without thinking, oh, we need balance as human beings. And this is why we walk dogs. Now we need to walk ourselves, you know, right. and then it's like, oh, let's go and trample the land too. So there's a balance in how to do that and, and the coexistence, there's a lot of fear about coexistence. Yeah. Do, do you pick that up with your reporting and, and especially when it comes to wolves? It, I mean, there's the love of it, but you're saying like the city folks, maybe not out there riding the range, but there's that fear. There's a little bit of, you know, we'll, we'll go, yeah, we wanna save the wolves. But then if you spend the night out there and hear it, like if you hear them, that's a whole other, planet it's beautiful it's beautiful but it's, it's eerie it's, isn't it <laughs> well you know I, I grew up in Africa so yeah out in the bush in Kenya and South Africa and my best nights were listening to hyenas and jackals and and if you are out there and, and the lion roars it is not it is it, it's magical but it is like oh yeah man it's humbling is the word yeah that's a <laughs> yeah, best way to say it uh, so yeah. I, I always felt going into this project, I, and I think I was glad I felt this way. I felt a bit agnostic about wolves. Like I didn't understand why people hated them, but I also didn't really understand why you know some people love them so much. And I think I got a little insight into both viewpoints uh, when I actually saw cool. a wild wolf for the first time. And this was um, during the project, uh, the reporting this book. Um, I was driving on a Forester's road and saw this wolf off the side of the road. So I jumped out of my car. It was early in the morning uh, on this in this mountain range near here and um, hiked over to the edge of the road and looked down and about 100 yards downhill was this wolf and it was looking back at me. And we made eye contact. Yeah. It felt like a minute yeah. or two. Probably it was much shorter. <laughs> That's something I noticed talk, talking to people that had encounters with wolves is they lost all perspective on time and size and distance. Uh, something very different happens. And I experienced that, but we made eye contact and 
it was it was really intense and i really realized and i knew this intellectually before but i felt that this was an animal that had its own like desires and will and destiny that was independent of human <laughs> interest or my interest um and it and it and it really didn't care what i what i you know what i was doing mm -hmm. um in in sort of a in a in a way that i think challenges um humanity's like a belief in its total control over the world. And obviously we have a ton of control over the natural environment, but I think wolves um, somehow represent that like humbling, humbling, um, it, they, they can be like a humbling element. And I think mm -hmm. there's people react in different ways. Some people get angry and um, and some people sort of idolize it because it, it reminds them of something that maybe they feel like they lost. So that's, that's my mm -hmm. theory and that was my experience. And it really gave me some insight into like some of these strong uh, feelings and passions that come up. And then we find out chihuahuas are related, right? Yeah. So it's like a, that's right. a whole other part of it. It's like dogs and, and wolves. So we try to domesticate them. So it's kind of like, let's, con yeah. it's a it's a control thing us humans have. It's a weird well, thing we have. And you know what's have. amazing is some of the the, the newest research, uh, last couple of years at least, is indicates that, that, that probably wolves domesticated themselves. <laughs> so they oh, actually chose, they chose us, so. Oh, well, uh, yeah. there it is. Hey, yeah, get, yeah. get my food. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, well, it's an easier life. It's hard to be a wolf. <laughs> I want to talk about this balance part because, and it is interesting about the perspectives because I know when when you start researching things like this, it's hard not to go in one way and to even when you report something like this is to have your own internal balance. And when we started documenting parks and public lands, we started with the National Park Service, then we we do every park now because every space matters for everything, yeah. whether it's history or a pocket park or, you know, we don't want dead zones, really. Right. And uh, so we started working with the Forest Service who got mad at us for just doing park service stuff. And they said, well, we're underfunded, too. Like and we got all these. You know, we got the earfuls. And I remember the first Forest Service person we interviewed was on a live broadcast at an a, adventure show. and park service was there forest service and they said well here when you come here i still couldn't believe it i was like i'm gonna hang up everything and i realized you gotta let it be um here what in the forest service you can go cut your christmas tree you can go rock hounding you can do all this stuff and i'm like well that's that's not good you know what i mean that was my immediate reaction uh -huh. and and then they were like well we're the balance and so I do now get that in a way, but also with the Bureau of Land Management and how the management practices are, we've worked with every type right. at this point. Right. In, in Trying to covering find places. That. Yeah, wildlife refuges. And I yeah. mean, and, and we've gone to wildlife refuges that are pumping oil and you're trying to get a photo of here's these beautiful pelicans, but there's an oil derrick behind them. Mm -hmm. And right. so here's this balance. And so I kind of feel like, all right, we we actually have to have that because we always, you know, to us, like, you know, public land, it needs to be the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. So we need the space for humans to kind of balance, but also the animals, like the cattle ranching was always a big deal on public land. And so even that I'm going like, huh, there's all of these little elements. It's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that that balance is huge. And that's something that I know biologists in Washington and probably elsewhere are, are trying to figure out how to integrate that sort of really uh, local level of knowledge into big picture management. 
and it's it's the same thing they, they've their indigenous knowledge is actually quite similar in some ways because there's like tribes that have, and people that have been in one area like you know for thousands of years with this with some continuity um and they know that place in a, in a really intimate way and then how, how do you inter, how do you interface that with um with like you know the scientific method and and modern ecological management and, and all of that and i think that's something biologists here are really trying to work with because the people in washington state who are having to learn to coexist with wild carnivores um they they have a deep connection to the place they live in in most cases of course there's mm -hmm. exceptions but um i would say the average cattle rancher really care at least in washington and in smaller cattle ranchers really they do really care about their environment they're working in they just have a mm -hmm. different view of what that means like obviously they're 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 ranching so it's it looks a little different but um and so you can't just discount that even if maybe it needs to be tempered sometimes with, with other perspectives yeah i've learned that it's 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 things have to be complex to work. Mm -hmm. you yeah. know, we did an interview recently with um, the director of the Texas Aquarium mm. um, Association. And he was, we were talking about, because um, he's right, they've opened a wildlife rescue center. We're seeing more of that happen with zoos and aquariums, start to go more into rescue and sanctuary kind of thing. It's different everywhere. So everything yeah. I'm saying, don't, don't yell at me, people. <laughs> of any of it. it. Just as just it is what it is. But um, we were talking about solar and oil, right? And because there, he's at the Bay of Corpus Christi, but the aquarium, because of the oil being there, if if the aquarium wasn't there, that bay is probably going to be toxic. Uh, because they're there, they're the ones cleaning the water and watching the water samples to make sure. Because they're right. the ones doing the rescues and taking, you know. So there's this interesting balance, and we were starting to talk about energy and because public land is also becoming the hub of energy. Yeah, and yeah. So that threatens all wildlife, including wolves. Um, and so we talk about that and he's like, you know, you can't just take one out. You can't just put solar everywhere. You can't just put right. this, you know. So I right. think it is about a little bit of everything, not all concentrated in one. And the ranchers I know really know the land better than nature enthusiasts who go hiking once a week. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. No, I think that's exactly the point. And that's the in this in my book, right? Like, there's not one single answer to the, to any of this. And and I think anyone that says there is, is probably trying to sell you something. Um, yeah, it, it's it's complex. And, and even like, you know, we were talking a bit about um, human, like humility, having humility as, as humans. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, like, we, we think we know a lot. And we do know a lot about about how the world works. But but we're learning like ant wild animals are surprising us every day and their behavior are things that we're learning and um and that's happening with wolves so a lot of what we know about wolves comes from places like like yellowstone or, or alaska mm -hmm. where there's just not a lot of people um and there the the return of wolves to that ecology had a big obvious impact it's different in places like uh washington or colorado or oregon where there's a lot of people and they're coming to a human landscape a human adapted right. landscape so we're learning a, a ton about um, what that looks like. What does it look like to have wolves living next to humans? And that's what Washington's a fascinating state for a lot of reasons. But one of the one of the things is that um, it's the second smallest Western state geographically, but it has like seven or eight million people living here. And we also have almost a full uh, suite of native carnivores. So we have uh, black bears and that's wolves amazing. and cougars and occasional grizzly yeah. bears living sometimes within like an hour of seattle you know like that's, that's amazing it's a, a wild situation that humans haven't been in really uh much in our history 
awesome. Like, you know, that they're even alive, you know, yeah. that to yeah. me is, is an awesome thing, but you're right. How do we balance this where people understand and not just go that don't let fear overcome, you know what I mean? Yeah. And have a, I think it's really goes down to awareness. And actually the more you get to watch animals and the more you go out into nature and, and observe, you start to understand, but there are people doing some things, trying. There was a, I'm going to think it was like 15 years ago, kind of when we started the podcast, 15, 16 years ago, we interviewed a ranch, Lava Lake Lamb, I think love, I mean, this is a long time in Idaho and they did sheep. And um, so they sent us, they, they make sausage and whatever, all these things. And they used microchips on, like they, they worked with the wildlife service, I think it was wildlife refuge and fish and game to track the main wolf. So whenever they were going, they would move their sheep according to where the wolves were because they could track mm, the wolves. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so there cool. are things yeah. like that that I think yeah. people are, that's that balance you're talking about that we're, we're, right. we can do, right? You know. Just, yeah, I think for a lot of human history, coexistence meant uh, like I'll live here and you'll live there. <laughs> like kind of keep yeah. it separate. And there's really not here or there anymore. Um, it's all, so we have the tools, like mm. you're saying, there, there are many tools to, to coexist with wild animals, but it's about like what, yeah, do we want to, or are we willing to? Mm. Yeah, it's like, I want a beautiful garden, but no snakes or spiders in it. Right, right. That doesn't right, work, exactly. doesn't work. Yeah. So what, what, what do you see happening now? Because I mean, they're endangered species, li literally, right? You know, depending on where, what do you, what do you see happening in the future for wolves that we can do to help them? Are they organized? Like the ranch that I was talking about, that they're trying. I mean, it's not perfect. They, I mean, it's, right. it's you know, I, I recall them saying, you know, we're not 100%, but they're trying to do it as a community too. And I, and other people give them flack for it, but to do it as a community, like if people did that, I think would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's not one answer like we're saying, but I think that yeah. a, a good a good place to start is, and, and I think this applies to wolf issues, but really any um, any issue, whether it's conservation or politics or cultural stuff. Um, I think a, a lot of times we get sort of fact obsessed, and we just throw facts at each other. Like we try to convince someone who disagrees with us just by telling them the facts. Um, and obviously facts are important and, and, and kind of can build the basis of an argument or a, a way of thinking. But you also have to just understand like people don't make decisions based on facts. They make decisions based on their heart and how, mm -hmm. how they grew up and, and the culture that they're part of. And so I think um, to, to, to give some grace and to like listen and try to understand why people have the perspectives they do have, whether it's on wolves or, or cougars or um, politics uh whatever mm. it is i think that's so important and and to recognize that it maybe isn't necessarily about the topic at hand so a story that comes to mind for that is um, i went to the cattle producers of washington's uh, annual dinner right like fundraising oh, dinner. Wow. yeah it was very interesting and a number of the speakers talked about wolves what a bad thing they were for their operations um and then the keynote speaker, this uh, guy named Bill Bueller, who is the executive director of KPOW, which is like a national advocacy organization for small ranches. He got up and he said, and he's like, just total cowboy. He got up and he said like, hey, your problem isn't wolves, it's the economy. And his whole point was <laughs> that like, it's it's gotten harder and harder to be a rancher because of, of 
um, trade deals and just economic forces and political decisions um, and sort of this, this sucking up of, of wealth out of rural areas into urban areas. And that all, his point is that that all makes it just that much harder to be a rancher. And so then a wolf killing one or two cattle a year, which is really isn't that much, then it begins, that makes a difference at that point. And it's just like one mm. more drop in the bucket. And so I think if you can understand some of that, um, it maybe gives a little a little empathy to, to toward toward a group that maybe you totally disagree with. And and then the tricky part is like not giving up your values and holding true to what you believe in, but while still listening. So that's that's the hard part. But I think that I think that's a, a, a one thing I really pe hope people can kind of take away from this book and and apply to to, to any aspect of their lives. Yeah, the polarization of things is insane. Yeah, it doesn't get us doesn't, anywhere. <laughs> no, no, yeah. and I think that's that's really true because we've, we've done some it, it, things and that once you go down like the rabbit holes that you went down the wolf hole, you went into the den. Yeah, right. You know? yeah, right. But even they, when they say that too, you're going in the wolf's den. I'm like, oh, cool. Do you have babies? No, but for other people, that's that's like a negative thing. But yeah. um, but when you go into that and you're seeing all the different perspectives, it's like. You can find some balance there, but it's, I kind of go with that guy on all these different deals that are done. Like from when we did the wild horse thing, it was like the ranchers versus the wild horse lovers. And then, you know, it's like the, because they're fighting over the public land that the ranchers are paying at that time. And we were really involved in that was years ago, but we're still, you know, keeping our ear to the ground. The ranchers were only paying like, I think maybe four bucks ahead of cattle to graze them mm -hmm. on public land or something like that yeah it's very it's very cheap i don't know exactly what what it is now but it's very yeah cheap. so everybody was like why are we doing this to our public land and yeah. all of that so i think it's just kind of it's it, deals that are done that maybe don't even involve the people that are now upset about you know what i mean it's yeah, like right the, yeah it's stuff that's happened years are, before yeah. Yeah. So it's like a, if we get together, that's a that's an important thing, you know. Right. So, yeah. So communication. Yeah, I think that's key. And then specifically, I mean, to the wolf wolf stuff and in, in specifics, I think there's a lot of um, like so range riding, which is the main character of, of my book is a range mm -hmm. rider. Right. Yeah. Um, and he he's, goes out on a horse or an ATV and tries to keep wolves away from cattle. Um, that that's like one of these tools. Uh, it's not the only tool, but it's one of these mm -hmm. tools for coexistence with wolves. And there's actually an ongoing study right now um, in a number of Western states trying to figure out um, and and sort of um, make it scalable uh, coexistence strategies and and see how how uh, effective they are and what sort of best practices are for it. Because up until now, it's been a bit of hodgepodge, um, people figuring it out on the fly. And some of it works just incredibly well. But to try to standardize it, to make it like a tool, a tool set that, that states mm -hmm. and communities can pull from and have some um, trust that it will work. So. What about the, the fact is once wolves go in there, the ecosystem starts to balance and get more prolific itself. So they start to actually eat what they normally would eat. Do you see that happening if we, you know, and then maybe they would kind of move away from the cattle? Is there yeah, anybody I, talk about that? Yeah, that, um, yeah, that definitely seems to happen a bit. I think that the impact of, so like uh, the ecosystem balance, uh, which wolves can kind of help that, that is super um, uh, noticeable in places like Yellowstone, where there's not mm -hmm. a lot of humans. It's a little more muted from my understanding in, in places like Washington. 
um, where where it's just not as clear cut because there's just a lot more going on. There's more roads, there's more people, there's more, Mm -hmm. you know, dogs and everything else. Um, But all that to be said, um, yeah, the the number of wolf attacks on cattle in Washington are fairly low. Um, You know, it does happen, of course. and, And there's some research that indicates that for every attack that you find, there's a couple that you don't find and that um, wolves just being around can uh, decrease weight for the, like the weight of the cattle and increase um, uh, sort of miscarriages and this sort of thing, all of which impacts the ranchers. All that being said, hmm. um, it's a relatively low amount. So wolves are finding they're eating other things, right? And they're very adaptable. They, I mean, wolves hmm. on the coast will eat, will eat fish and, and wolves in huh. Minnesota will eat uh, beavers. And so um, they're super adaptable uh, and, and omnivorous in that way. Cool. I want to see. I haven't seen one in the wild. I've seen them. Oh, it's in, cool. It's really and, cool. You know, I have not done that, but I understand what you mean about that eye contact of, you know, yeah. that just chill out, man. Yeah. But I think it'd be cool like to to just experience and just move on. Let them be. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. Yeah. 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 It's hard where 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 I live. It's it's pretty uh, mountainous and and treed. Mm-hmm. And so I know people who've spent their whole lives trying to see wolves and haven't. Um, so it's it's kind of it can be difficult. It's not like in these broad open plains, maybe in like Yellowstone or something, where you you can get a, a spotting scope and really <laughs> find them. Yeah. So, yeah. How what was it like writing a book after doing you know? Yeah. articles and having to be so fast that fast turnaround and then suddenly yeah. now it's a book and it's like how was that uh, process it was a whole mind shift um it was really fun and it's something i'd always wanted to do uh cool. but it definitely that chain uh switching gears um from from yeah daily work to long-term project like a book length was it took a bit um and, and I had to sort of change how I thought because a lot of the stuff, like the way I normally approach it, it would be irrelevant by the time the book came out. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a cool process. Yeah, I really enjoyed well, it's it. Well, a story too. That that's what people should yeah. know as well. It's a story, and that's what I tried to do. I mean, it's a nonfiction book, of course, and there's plenty of science mm-hmm. and whatnot. But I really tried to make it a narrative experience, um, and hopefully, mm-hmm. a, a, an easy and enjoyable read. So, yeah, yeah. I mean. I want to get out there on a horseback. I miss being on yeah. horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I spent I got, quite a yeah. You learned. I spent quite a lot of time. Yeah, in, uh, you know, learning how to ride horses and, and trying to do the range riding thing for my reporting. So that's a whole, that's <laughs> yeah. hard. Range riding is not easy. It's hard work. It's yeah. exhausting. Tired. People yeah. think, oh, you know, the horse does all the work. You, you're just sitting on the back of it. Right. Right. It's exhausting. It is, yeah. Weird, <laughs> weird hours. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> but but being out in the wilderness is really cool too. I oh, mean, pretty... isn't that why he took that role in his life? Is that he can be out there? You know, once you're yeah. out there, that's the thing. Then you never want to go back. Like to me, right. that's the hardest thing. It's like, what? Like, just leave right. me out there. Right. Let's just, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I I wonder. Do you think? The more people go out into the wilderness and have positive experiences, and so this is one thing I learned that people go glamping because they don't want to go camping, but maybe then after they go glamping, they'll go camping. Right. You know what I mean? Do Slip, baby steps slope. to be cozy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that the more people go outside and learn to respect the environment and actually learn about what they're seeing and 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 all of that and get that kind of bug under their skin I, that sounds bad for anybody now that didn't work <laughs> that didn't help <laughs> go out there get bit i know what you meant yeah <laughs> yeah once you get swept on, into that um that it will help with the balance factor i think so uh, to a point yeah i think um mm-hmm. 
people care about what they know about, right? And so if, you, mm -hmm. if you've got a, some lived connection to a place, you'll want to preserve it uh, to whatever extent you can. I think the difference is, um, you know, there's, there's different ways of engaging with the natural environment. So if, if it's sort of passive and, uh, and this is what I felt in myself, right? And I, I, I love being outside. I do a lot of outdoor activities, um, probably, you know, a fair bit more than most people. But I not, there was no like urgency to it. It wasn't like I wasn't, I, I was just, it was just like in between going back to my house and sleeping in my bed or whatever, even if I was camping, you know, mm -hmm. it's just a, what, a few days. Whereas um, some people, not many people really live with the land and they have to live with the seasons and the cycles of, of nature. And uh, so I, I think that that's hard to get just by, just by recreating. Um, I think you kind of have to work, work with your hands and work on the land to, to feel that more. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah 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 i agree and i i like the point of um being open to hearing others interpretation yeah and, that's and what, Dan, what daniel daniel curry that's what daniel yeah. curry the, the character in this book was so brilliant at was was and is uh is listening and, and trying to find that common ground and and, mm -hmm. and make it work so yeah it's 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 learning things like when um you're out on horseback right you're also watching things and you have to be super aware you know like i'm saying it's not just like being a passenger in a car you are mm -hmm. watching the rocks you're watching snakes or you know all of that kind of stuff right and right being hyper vigilant you know and um i think that's that balance yeah cool yeah. well congratulations on your book thank you are you excited yeah, thank you so has it been much. fun oh, so, doing all these so media fun. tours and everything i love it yeah I've are you gonna do it little... again uh, another book I'd love to I don't know about what at this point um, but I have some ideas I'm kicking around but but no it's been so fun the writing was challenging and enjoyable and rewarding and, and then this whole cool part of talking about it with people is just a blast so I really appreciate being on your show about the wolves I appreciate that you see all perspectives because I think it's the only way we're going to move forward I really do yeah. for any any kind of balance and I hope we have more ha like animal corridors i think they just backed that bill that came out the wildlife yeah. corridor just came yeah. out um so that's exciting so yeah i've I've, I've seen some we're out in um where are we right now we're in maryland and i've seen some actual bridges like that are okay. just all trees and stuff which is cool yeah. i'm like yeah <laughs> that's cool. yeah that's cool yeah yeah awesome. no, there's ways there's ways to make it work there's ways to coexist it's just if we if we choose to or not so go go hiking cool yeah <laughs> all right that's what we'll thank do thank you thank you so much for joining us everyone again uh the book is called the return of wolves an iconic predator's struggle to survive in the american west again uh that is by eli frankovich uh frankovic excuse me there and also keep up with us at bigblendradio.com we're here with the nature connection every fourth friday and way more than that as you know we're daily and um, we always talk about parks nature public lands animals all that good stuff and we want to thank Margot Carrera, our collaborator on this. Go to her website, CarreraFineArtGallery.com. Thanks so much, Eli. You take care. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks.